Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Yeah, n- not bad. I um that way, I, uh, that 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 does not sound like the hesitant, halting, not bad. It sounds like you are in serious distress. Are, well, are you okay? I'm all right. There are a few things going on, but like occasionally, it's fun to go read your reviews on iTunes or whatever and see what people have to say about the show. And I I logged on, and on the date of my birthday, no less, there was this review that was basically like, ah. These guys have just lost it. Like all, like go, go back, listen to the first forty episodes, and then don't bother anymore. All they do is talk about Facebook and Uber. Like it's just, it's not worth it anymore. I was like, oh man, come on! <laughs> don't don't read the reviews, James. <laughs> I mean, I, if you if you don't have critics, you're not doing something right. That's 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 the other thing to keep in mind, I guess. Right? I have not seen this comment because, uh, well, which is funny. I, I did a whole thing about how important feedback is and all these sort of loops. Uh, but I guess I have not read the exponent reviews on iTunes. But you can by all means leave them, everyone. No, but uh, it's funny because I've, I, I have to say, it kind of has a point. We've spent an awful lot of time on Facebook on exponent. I spent a lot of time on Facebook on Shatekery. Mm. And it, it's actually, it's pretty interesting. I mentioned a few weeks ago that like, I sometimes feel like Shashakri goes in cycles. And I, this week I was kind of stepping back and thinking back like oh, the o- overall Shashakri. So, I mean, it's 2000, what is it? 2017, November 20, mm-hmm. 2017. It's almost 2018. I started Shashakri in 2013. And, you know, it's really interesting. If you go back, you can almost see a sort of thematic shift in Stratechery itself and, and what I've covered and what I've written about. And I suspect that same shift has happened in Exponent, given that, you know, Exponent mm. episodes are often about, you know, the the the, the main article on Stratechery. I mean, so, you know, this is obviously old hat to most folks, but, you know, the daily update is driven mostly by the news cycle, like what's mm-hmm. happening or what's happened previously or whatever. So this week had been a lot about earnings that, that was came out. And whereas the weekly article is driven by the news cycle to an extent in that, mm. I always like to hang what I'm writing about on something that's going on at the same time just to give it sort of relevance and a, and a connection. But sometimes it, there's also like broader sort of thematic things, like kind of building up like the model of the world that that Stratechery, you know, sort of seeks to articulate. And that's not a static model. It's a dynamic model, one that's changing. And a lot of times, you know, weekly articles are about sort of that building sort of, sort of process. And, and so it follows that if you kind of step back and look at, articles over time there has been a shift and that shift is is a measure of how my thinking is evolved but there also is that sort of weird interplay with like what's happening in technology what's happening in the world sort of broadly yeah and i i the value of stepping back and doing that is it can sometimes feel if you're just reading the articles or just doing the podcast or whatever it might be that that, that it can be hard to step back and see it and it's like oh no another another thing about facebook or another thing about uber or whatever it might be and i don't know like talking to you before the show started it it seemed that there would be value in painting a little bit of context around this shift so folks can see kind of like why these topics are being picked, like how this transition has happened, why this transition has happened, and why we're picking these topics to talk about. Because there is there is a rhyme to the reason, you know? Yeah, and it's funny, by the way. I mean, we, we <laughs> little, you know, to get meta about the podcast, you actually brought up the review when we had, I had already sort of had this idea, thinking about sort of big picture, where where are we at here? And it just so happened to be almost like a perfect tie in a way, mm-hmm. to, way to lead into it. So I, I trust you're not actually, you're, you're actually surviving okay. 
I, I'm managing over here, yes. <laughs> so to sort of think back, go back. So I started in 2013. And 2013, I would say a lot of the things on Strategy were about mobile. It was about, you know, Apple was a big thing. Then, as I've noted previously, that was when the Apple's doomed narrative, one of the stronger mm. sort of episodes. It was, I mean, it's a recurring episode, but that was a particularly strong season of it, as it were. And, you know, the Apple's stock price was down significantly. Samsung seemed ascendant. And there was a lot of, you know, oh, it's happening. We told you it happened. You, you know, the too expensive, it's being disrupted. And as I've noted previously, I got a ton of traction. I was saying, this is ridiculous. That, that That's not true at all. Like, let's look at and understand how this market actually is. This is a consumer market. It's far larger than any other market we've ever looked at before, which means owning even a segment of that means you're still in absolute numbers very large, which protects mm-hmm. your sort of ecosystem. Developers aren't going to run away because the other one's larger because yours is already large enough. And and all, all sort of things that we've talked about. And I wouldn't be surprised if our if our commenter is maybe like a, maybe it's an Apple fan. Maybe it's someone or someone who finds that that area much more mm-hmm. interesting and fascinating. And you know, sometimes I miss writing about that sort of stuff because there's there's an aspect of you know the way Apple works and these new products and, and, the, and the iPhone 10 and all this, that the tangibility of those objects and the fact that th- how you interact with them and they're, they're an important part of your life, it makes it almost more relatable in many respects. And frankly, it was it, in retrospect, it was a great time for me to start Stratechery because I had these sort of well-formed thoughts about how this world worked in part because that world was kind of drawing to an end. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if I was writing about mobile in like 2007, 2008, where someone like I'd say John Gruber was so essential to read then is because he, his understanding and insight into Apple and the way in, in the way an iPhone resonated. He, he wrote this really amazing article about how Rim is doomed. And I think he, he wrote it in 2007. And it was it was so prescient, not just in a it was right, but in a perfectly articulating that the way that the paradigm had changed to now an iPhone was a was a computer and RIM didn't make computers. The computer company is going to beat the phone company. And, you know, for him, it was the right moment, right time, right guy, right perspective, just totally nailed it. And I kind of had the luxury of strategy of kind of strolling in at sort of the tail end of that and saying – Let's put a bow around this and understand what what have we learned over the last five years? What's the reality of this market and what does it sort of mean going forward? It's crazy, though. I mean, and now you look at the market and it feels very mature. It feels like everybody has their place and we understand. But there were still some pretty divergent opinions even back in 2013, six What's that? Five, six years after the whole thing kicked off with the iPhone and the the extent to which you're right, like people were still talking about Samsung versus Apple and like how this was going to play out and it hadn't shaken out. And it's one of those things, though, where you didn't even realize that it kind of happened until you look back and it's like, ah, 2013. 2014, like, okay, this iPhone thing, it's not going away. There's going to be a division of the market. And here are the reasons why. Right. Well, I mean, I would say that's what I did. That was kind of the, if there was a broad thing, I wrote, it's hard to, it's hard to like distill it to one thing. Cause I wrote about all kinds of stuff, you know, the first year, every year, every day. I mean, by virtue of writing every day, I'm covering a whole range of topics. Mm. But if you sort of take sort of the 50,000 foot view of what was going on, really 2013 was like saying, no, it was me saying it's done. This is the market. This is the way it is. Apple is secure. This is why they're secure. Android is secure. This is why it's secure. Windows phone is like Windows mobile is doomed. Like oh, all this sort of stuff that from now, four or five years on looks obvious. And at the time when I said it, maybe, and I explained it, maybe it wasn't obvious, but it was fact. 
And uh, that, that maybe sounded less modest than I meant, but I wasn't making predictions. You know what I mean? It was more sort of I was describing this is this is the reality, and it's going to be the reality going forward. And and that was sort of the, that theme. It was mobile's over. Here's the groundwork going forward. This is the way it's going to be. And and you know and now new things are are sort of going to happen. Again, I didn't say that at the time per se, but looking back, that was really the tenor of that year. And we've talked about the the article that brought us together. That you know about disruption and the iPhone mm. and, and, and you know your mentor, Professor Christensen. And in many respects, that was sort of like that. That, that, that was the. That was the 2013 piece in some respects. Like if, if I were to pick out one piece that captures what I'm trying to explain about what 2013 meant as a general moment in technology, it was that. And that piece, again, was a backwards-looking sort of piece. It was saying, look at the evidence. Look at what has happened. Let's think about this market, what we know about it, we've learned about it. What are the implications for this theory yeah. that predicted something that didn't happen? And why did the prediction fail? And so it just my, my broader point is there was a very much a tying things together, looking at the evidence as to what's happened aspect to talking about mobile in, in 2013. And I would say that characterized what, what I did at that time. Which brings us neatly to 2014, which is like, okay, this market has shaken out and this is going to be the biggest mark. This is the biggest market in the world like if you think about the impact that mobile phones smartphones have had on the planet it's ginormous like a, like you said it's a it's a the a true personal computer it's a computer that is with you that is always on that becomes a, a almost a, a representation of you an avatar it, it makes you a a moving node on this global network like what are going to be some of the implications of this new era looking back it's funny 2014 i don't think it was my strongest years to be honest which is unfortunate that's the year i started the business and that might have been connected because i was i was so wrapped up in getting this business off the mm. ground that you know may, I, I would say the, the, it wasn't my best year for, for weekly articles to be honest mm. but i would say there was the article that did wrap up that year for me and, and also for technology and really set the stage for what's going forward. I think, you know, fitting in this sort of framework we're putting forward. If 2013 was was that, you know, iPhone and disruption and what actually happened. 2014 was actually the very last article I wrote of the year. The state of consumer technology at the end of 2014. And here I put forward this idea that there are epochs in technology. And there's a two-part process to these epochs. The first part of the epoch is the establishment of sort of the foundational platform. And then part two is the sort of applying that platform so it actually affects you know the entire world so it affects life and, and so you go back the first epoch that i wrote about was the pc and you could probably take this back further into mainframe stuff like that but mm. i just i started with the pc and the first 10 15 years the 80s and early 90s was really about establishing the pc as a platform generally as microsoft's heyday you know there was you could there was art questionings in the 80s about is who's going to win who's going to win the pc era right you look back and you all oh, microsoft dominated the pc era no it, it's like looking back now and saying, oh, mm. there, no, people were really arguing. Smart people who understood this stuff were arguing about would the iPhone be a long-term viable product? Like, And you look, think about it now, it's like, really? That was a question? It was. I promise you, it was a question. I got tons of articles about it. It was definitely a question. And, and it was the same thing in the 80s. Like, It wasn't assured that it wasn't clear that Microsoft was going to be the dominant sort of force that it was. It was clear... I'm sure there were the sort of John Gruber's of that era that, you know, he wrote that iPhone piece in 2007 that was so prescient. I'm sure there were pieces that were written like that in like 1985. That's like Microsoft, like 
Microsoft was just getting off the ground. They were doing the operating system. I mean, they've been around for, for eight years, but mm-hmm. they, they, they had the operating system for the PC. So maybe someone's out there and said, whoa, IBM gave away the operating system Microsoft. It's over. Microsoft's going to be this dominant monopoly. Mm-hmm. I'm just guessing. There's probably someone out there that, that, that saw that coming. And hats off to them. But it wasn't sort of widely accepted conventional wisdom, as it were, for a, a sort of a long time after that. Yeah, it's it's funny how like our hindsight of these events is always very imperfect. And you see this in so many instances, whether it's whether it's looking back at the iPhone or looking back at the PC, but even much more recent events, like people people are great at telling stories that explain the world. Like it's it's otherwise it just becomes impossible to live as a human being. And you watch, I, I mean, the example I love to give is like financial reporters explaining what happened in the markets today, and they make these simple explanations, right. like it was blindingly obvious what was going to happen the whole time. And I'm like sitting there thinking to myself, if these guys were as good at predicting as they were at reporting, they wouldn't be working as financial reporters. They would be retired somewhere on some tropical island. But yet somehow like this explanation in retrospect just seems so obvious, like we knew it was going to be that way all along. Right. Exactly. No, it's so true. It's exactly the case. But but just to kind of go back to the sort of epoch sort of view, you know, so so the 80s and kind of early 90s was about establishing the PC. Mm. And then once the PC was established, it was only then that all the true sort of new paradigms emerged on top of the PC, the most obvious being the internet. And mm-hmm. the internet, you know, by definition, being all these connected nodes all over the place, the nodes had to exist. Like it was a necessary precondition for the internet to have the impact that it did. You had to have PCs everywhere that could, that could connect to the internet. And so the, the one had to come first. And it was only when the first was sort of settled down and Microsoft won. We're done. This is where we are. That's when the next epoch occurred, and that epoch occurred on top of that platform. And that epoch was the internet. And, and you know, the, the big winner, the dominant winner was Google. Like Google became, for all intents and purposes, the operating system of the internet, the place where you started, the place where you went. Yeah, and, and Google's position as effectively being the operating system for the internet was uh, an incredibly powerful place to be and began the process of uh, of uh, disrupting Microsoft's hegemony. Oh, disrupting is probably not the word no, well, i but, but here's the thing. This is what's so interesting is, yes, you're right, but it was a sort of uh, – I'm not sure how to put it, like an opportunity cost disruption, as it were, in mm. that Microsoft was limited in – growing and extending and doomed to a sort of position where ossification was inevitable because all the things that were happening was sitting on top of Microsoft, but Microsoft wasn't threatened. Like Google didn't threaten Microsoft per se, like because everyone still was buying Mm. PCs on which to go on the internet and then Google being the point of leverage sitting on top of Microsoft. Right. I, I guess that's I guess that's a really interesting point because when I think about threatening, I think about threatening from the perspective of being the dominant player, from the perspective of continuing uh, for people to continue to keep buying their products. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. But in terms of being the 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 player at the top of the stack that is having the most impact, that is experiencing the most growth, that's that started with Google, and then obviously going back to what we talked about before, it's it's. Now 
now, uh, I mean, Apple with with the mobile era, like they were then positioned on the uh, beside Google effectively on top of the PC is like experiencing all this growth. The irony being, of course, that now that growth in the, not that Apple's doing badly as their recent financial results show, but it's the same kind of thing. I think Apple's going to start to experience the same kind of thing as Microsoft, like the market starting to get saturated and it's the things further up the stack that get more interesting. Just to back up and and paint this picture, you had the PC era and then Microsoft won. And it Mm -hmm. was only then that the internet era happened on top of that and Google won. Mm -hmm. So the Apple part, I think it's worthwhile to differentiate it from the Google part. Even though you're right, both Google and Apple together is what undid sort of Microsoft's dominance, but the way they did it was very different in that Google built on top of Microsoft, but didn't actually threaten the Microsoft business. They just limited their ability, their their expansion Mm -hmm. ability. Whereas Apple with mobile, mobile was actually disruptive to the PC business and, and, and actually started, you know, taking that out. And so the analogy mobile is analogous to PC in that it is the device, it's the underlying platform. And when I talk about 2013 sort of wrapping a bow on that era, it was that era that was equivalent to the 80s era. To, to the early 90s era where Microsoft became dominant. There was that five to six set year period where Apple with the with, with iOS and, and Google with Android became the dominant platforms. And that was the most interesting story in technology for that time period. And 2013 wrapped that up. But the implication, this is why 2014, I think, was a little scattered for strategy in some respects to the extent that strategy is a reflection of what's happening in technology mm. because it was the consolidation was sort of done. Like, oh, wait, we're, we're set. It's Apple and it's Google. Now what? And the now what was, to the point you just made, was analogous to the internet era yeah. on PC and what was going to be the era on mobile. What was going to yeah. be the internet emergence on mobile and what was going to be the gatekeeper in the way Google was on, on the internet? What was going to be the equivalent on mobile? And, and 2014 was sort of this consolidation stage and and the answer, as I, I even know at the end, was becoming clear that it was going to be Facebook. Yeah, it's 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 again the, like the cycle repeats in terms of those epochs perfectly. You get all the nodes established, and once the nodes are established, the preconditions are there for the next stage up the stack to begin. Uh, and you start to see smartphone penetration, particularly in developed markets. Not that developing markets were far behind, but basically approaching their maximum levels. Yeah, sat- saturated. Yeah, yeah, completely saturated. And then it's like, okay. It's it's not necessarily going to become immediately clear, but uh, and the other thing that's noticeable about this is these epochs seem to be happening faster and faster now. Um, but it 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 didn't take long before you're exactly right. Facebook became the equivalent on top of this mobile internet that Google had kind of been in in terms of uh, PC internet, and this was. This was around the same time, if I recall, when you wrote the Pete Google article, which is effectively putting Google in a similar position to what happened to Microsoft. It's not necessarily going to be the case that this company uh, goes into terminal decline, just like Microsoft hasn't been in terminal decline. But there's going to be another company further up the stack that is going to be much more interesting, where all the growth is happening, where all the focus is going to be, and that company is Facebook. Yeah, I mean, just an aside on Google, I did write Google in 2014, and, and it was exactly that sort of 
that angle where I, I by no means was saying Google was in, under any sort of threat, but rather that the sort of big emergent part, like Facebook was better positioned. I, I doubt it's interesting. I think the underlying theory and framework of that article was right. The mistake that I made, and I wrote a big daily update about this. I've revisited that article a couple of times. I mean, in, which is, you know, something that I, whenever I get something that, that, isn't right or doesn't seem to be right, I always go back and review. Like I did the big mail copa about like spectacles, which I, I wasn't nearly skeptical enough of. Uh, <laughs> and we'll put links to the show notes in, in that. But I did a couple of them actually because I, I felt I wasn't sufficiently hard on myself. But in the case of Peak Google, I think the framework was right. What I, The mistake that I made, uh, it, it was, I, which was so dumb, was I forgot about the fact that mobile is so freaking huge. You know what I mean? And that just by virtue of being on mobile, like one, there is going to be huge growth opportunities. You're just reaching so many more people in our, that are on the internet so much more often. That's always been the recipe for Google's success. That's part one. Part two was one of the big insights I had about Facebook. This was back in 2013 when everyone was dumping on Facebook and, you know, was it post-IPO, their stock price was way down, was I they had just launched the newsfeed ads. And I wrote this thing in 2013 saying, this is the best ad in digital, we've never seen an ad this this good. And not by good, I mean like it's going to be effective. It's going to make a lot of money. And the reason was because it used to be for all digital ads, they were all along the side of what you were doing, right? And and and, mm-hmm. and even then, they were distracting and annoying, and no one liked them. And what was so fascinating about the Facebook newsfeed ad is that it literally took over your entire screen. So for some moment, the the screen you're looking at was nothing but an ad. But because of the nature of the feed and the way you went through it, it was simultaneously both way more immersive than a digital ad had ever been, yet also way less distracting. And so I wrote this in 23, like, this is going to be huge. This is this is like and, – and I wrote that Facebook wanted so hard to be a platform, but being forced to just be an app and – was the best thing that happened to them for for this very reason. I mean, I think this goes back to the earlier uh, the earlier point around whether it's whether you are dominant from a or whether you're doing well from uh, the being the the point of the the top of the stack versus like from a financial perspective doing well. And I think Pete Google speaks to the fact that there's something being built on top of it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to continue to do well financially, just like Microsoft continued to do very well financially. I still wasn't totally right though, because the other mistake that I made and this is that what I didn't appreciate is I had this I had this realization about Facebook that the ability to basically take over the entire screen with ads meant that it was going to be a massive sort of product from a from a financial perspective that applied to Google too and if like Google what they've done over the last few years is if you search for a common search term, I think we mentioned this a, a, a couple podcasts ago, but like search for like car insurance or something on Google, and mm-hmm. you don't get to organic results until you're like three pages down, like three like sc- full screens down. You have to scroll down, and there's like that first. It's all ads. It's all ads, and it's the same thing as Facebook. There is literally nothing on your screen but ads, and it turns out that's a really great way to make a whole bunch of money. And and one thing I've done in the daily update over the last sort of year is I figured out kind of like a year ago that you can track Google's acquisition costs as a proxy for mobile because they have to pay Apple, right, to be to be the, the mm. search provider. And they pay all default. the yeah, yeah. To, be, to, to be the defaults. And so and you can see that line going up, you know, and it's it's pretty closely, it's not perfectly, but there's there's a seems to be a a correlation, not saying correlation causation, but there seems to be a correlation with this sort of 
packing in more and more ads into their search results. And first they went from two, then they went to three, then they went to four of some search results. And, you know, and so the, the thing with Big Google is not that it was wrong, again, from a theoretical perspective, but it was effectively wrong because I didn't appreciate, one, how big mobile was, and two, how effective Google's monetization could would be on mobile. I mean, I, I was a little surprised by the, it's it's almost like the shameless way in which they were happy to get rid of or, or happy to crowd out the organic search results in order to just show advertisements. But they they did it and they've done it from a financial perspective very successfully. And it's not like, uh, I mean, this is this is the beautiful thing about being the dominant search engine. It's not like people are going to start using Bing because there's a whole bunch of search results for the first three pages for car insurance. And I guess the other, I mean, the other thing they did was they were able to slowly boil the frog in terms of test it and see they weren't losing people as a result of it and know they could get away with it. Yeah, there's a comment on the earnings call this week where where they talked about innovation in, in advertising on mobile, and we had to you know weave behind some of our assumptions. It's like <laughs> those assumptions were that. People would get pissed off that they were seeing nothing but ads. And it turns out, no. And that, that actually right. leads to 2015. So 2014 is sort of the, this realizing there's this epoch era going on and we're entering a new one and, and, and what might happen. And 2015 was aggregation theory. like that, that, And there was a whole series of articles that sort of built up to that. And, and all, all the different pieces were there and then sort of putting them together in one piece. And this two sort of, you know, the two sort of killer pieces of this were was Google first on on and they had done it on the internet and then it was Facebook and they were doing it on mobile it was it was sort of happening at that time and that gets to why people why do people tolerate those ads because Google is the best search engine why because they have this positive feedback loop of, of data and users that makes it better despite the fact they have a bunch of ads on it it's still and people people stick with it well the advertisers allow it to get better too like don't underestimate that like it generates all the revenue that allows them to hire more engineers put more servers in and like that that's part of the feedback loop as well oh, of course I mean there's, there's all these sort of feedback loops and so you know 2015 was in many respects sort of articulating that, oh, this is what's happening. This is the mechanism. This is like the our irrigation theory in some respects is the mechanism by which those more the, the sort of the information operating systems, as it were, the information chokeholds gain their position. And Google had done it on the PC uh, with the internet, and obviously it more successfully transferred that to mobile than I appreciate, and that's what I got wrong in that article. And Facebook was now doing it on mobile, like they were building that edifice on top of the foundation that was now set, that was now set by Android and iOS. They were building this new edifice on it, and it turned out the way in which they were building that, ed- that edifice was the same way that the edifice had been built by Google previously. The These network effects in a digital era in which you have zero marginal cost to like serve to sign up new customers or serve new serve new advertisers or whatever it might be and then the advantage that information starts to deliver you it allows you to improve the product and get even better that results in even more people signing up like that and the speed at which that's happened had uh, uh, up until now like that's it was completely new just because it was all digital and it removed all the friction. Right, exactly. That's why it's getting faster because there, 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 there's not physical pieces anymore. But to think of physical pieces, again, this is why the sort of you needed the mobile stage first. Like what's the economic sort of model for these aggregators? You, you just kind of reference it, but to make it very explicit, it's massive investment in fixed costs, whether that be servers, whether it be R&D, whether it be the building out of the, of the product. And then you want to serve the maximum number of 
people possible. That's how you, that's because basically every extra user is it, it doesn't it, marginal cost is zero, and then it's a perfect mm-hmm. match for advertising because advertisers also want to reach everyone. So you have this this beautifully aligned business model where the goal is to reach the maximum number of people possible, but that goal is only viable in a world in which the people can be reached. Which means they need mm-hmm. to have phones. So that I mean, and that's why that's the part one. The sort of physical build out creates the stage for these sort of aggregation businesses to spread all, all, all over the place. Which which probably sets the stage for the next year, twenty sixteen. Which is like you have these fundamental shifts in terms of how advertisers are being reached around how people are purchasing products like you think about like in the background we haven't even explicitly mentioned them amazon is completely changing the way that retail works facebook and google are completely changing how uh how advertisers reach people how people are connecting with each other but in the background there exists this industrial era all these industrial era companies that have been chugging along kind of watching what's going on but not that they're, they're definitely not native to it but they are all that there is an ecosystem there and that ecosystem is being disrupted by virtue of the fact that there is this massive movement of attention of people and advertisers onto these digital platforms and those are creating new opportunities for new players to come along exactly and so really the theme for 2016 and and i think the 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 article here is when i wrote tv advertising surprising strength and inevitable fall and the point of that was all this stuff's connected at the time, it was like, why is TV so strong? Digital's coming along. And TV's so strong because TV was a perfect match for the advertisers that are on TV, like big box retailers, like, like mm. car companies, like all these sorts of companies that are all CPG companies, which are sell, which are big advertisers, and they sell in the retail stores that you drive your car to go get, right? And all these companies are all threatened by the internet, and I, the previous year, aggregation. Oh, these the mechanics of of these new companies is very similar, and you think, wait, if those are all similar, you step back, look at the old world. Wait, their businesses are all similar too. They're all built around certain assumptions around distribution, mm-hmm. around owning the channel, and 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 not about owning like they, not delivering the best customer experience. Right? They, if they try to do a fine customer experience, but that's not how they win in business. They win in business by controlling distribution and controlling supply. Mm-hmm. You, in the whole, we say it again and again: shift from supply to demand is is the big shift. But but if 2015 was about seeing the connections between all these new firms, 2016 was almost seeing all the connections in all the old firms and I'll, like this whole thing's going to collapse and you had the Brexit think about with that big article at, at the time there that was you know in some respects about Brexit was more broadly about the fact that look at these systemic changes that have happened and what has caused them and and all this stuff is interconnected which means mm. they're not going to fall one by one it's not like oh what a coincidence that CPG companies are struggling at the same time big box retailers are struggling no they're they're struggling at the same time for the same reasons for the same causes that are the same causes that these internet companies are exploding and and they're all interconnected and as one rises it is inevitable the other falls and doesn't just fall it's going to fall in unison in, in, in conjunction like to be fair it's these these things have been built over a long period of time and there's still some resilience in a bunch oh, of them. no it's not no like that's that was the that was the point of this article is that there's actually way mm. more resilience than you think 
Because by virtue of being a web, of being interconnected, they prop each other up. Like if if, if there right. was only if it was just CPG companies alone or TV advertising alone, it probably would have been disrupted much sooner in the way like newspapers were. It's the fact that they're all interconnected. They need each other to survive. Like who keeps sending all this money to TV? It's like CPG companies. It's like why don't they move to Facebook? Because Facebook isn't a great channel for broad-based general interest sort of like CPG products. And so the, the, the sort of the, the, the part two of this article was about Dollar Shaving Club and the way they came along mm. and were and after P&G had bought Gillette for 92 million or whatever, or 900, uh, no, 9.2 billion. I don't know. It was, it was, a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, they bought it for a lot of money. And, and then Unilever comes along and buys Dollar Shaving Club for a billion. And oh, yeah, of course, the revenue is way lower, et cetera, et cetera. But on a unit basis... It was extremely disruptive. And why was it disruptive? Because their costs were lower. Why were their costs lower? Because they were leveraging Facebook. They were leveraging YouTube. They were leveraging a new distribution model. They were leveraging e-commerce. And that was such an example of the disruption that was happening. But to, to, to back up, P&G is still around. And they're still advertising their mass market products on the mass market medium, which is TV, which means they're propping up TV in some respects because they can't go anywhere else. They're, all these companies are barreling towards a dead end, but they're barreling towards mm-hmm. a dead end together, and it's almost keeping themselves el- alive longer. But it means when they die, they're going to all die at the same time. Right. That, that, I mean, that's exactly it. The web, the, by nature of the web, and I really like that analogy, by nature of the web, it's going to last longer. But when the uh, when it when it finally breaks, the whole thing's going to break at once. It's all interconnected. But I think, and I think you alluded to it a little bit. I mean, we've talked about this from a, we've talked about it from a commercial perspective, but a lot of the same principles apply beyond just commerce like you start to think about the assumptions that are being built for a political party for example the the, the nature of distribution and why you want to uh, why you want to form a political party and how you advertise and the amount of power that gives a political party in terms of picking acceptable candidates but for all the reasons you just described why something like a dollar shave club can come along and threaten massive players like Unilever and Procter and Gamble, the same effect started to be felt outside the commercial world in the area of politics, for example. And we saw a politician rise very much outside the traditional channels in at, towards the end of 2016. And that that idea of there being this sort of connectivity and all this stuff related, when I wrote that article, The Voters Decide, uh, that was really about you know how could Donald Trump happen. It relied on the observation in that article is that the power of the media was intertwined in that same sort of web we're talking about. It was intertwined with the power of the political parties. And it followed that if the media had lost its power, that the political parties had lost their power as well. And that's what created the conditions for this rise was that intertwining, was that web. And if you don't, if you didn't see that web, it was hard to see how could this happen? Like what, what happened here? And, and so it was very much the, the connectivity sort of thing, but that led to sort of this year's theme is dealing with the consequences. Like it's, it's become mm-hmm. very real and very concrete. And you're right. It happened first in politics. And why did it happen in politics? Because it, it happened first in media, like media lost its power yeah, first. Right. And that, that led to this upheaval in politics, but buckle up because what has happened in our politics is a preview for what is going to happen in every part of our economy, everything falling apart, everything going crazy and and chaos because all the guardrails and all the support things all crumbled and we didn't even realize it happened. But I'm, this is the prediction part. This is going to happen everywhere. Mm-hmm. 
I, th- I think the, a couple of reactions. First of all, that the fact that, that this happened first in media is absolutely essential. So TV, with its entertainment aspect, might have been insulated a little bit and it's, it's doing better. But you think about how all the money that used to flow into newspapers who had that they had this natural monopoly over advertising distribution in geographic areas just completely dried up when consumers could go and read the best news anywhere or started to get all their news from Facebook and and the advertisers followed followed the eyeballs and then all those all, all the media started to disappear and that had a direct flow on effect to exactly what you were describing and i mean i guess the second point is it's crazy how i mean this week like we saw these tech companies dragged in front of a Senate hearing on these Russian ads. And again, we've talked about the fact that perhaps uh, focusing so heavily on the foreign advertising is to miss the forest for the trees in terms of the impact, for example, versus things like filter bubble, filter bubbles. But at the same time, this is, I mean, for me, this is, I mean, we talked about how uh, the the Professor Christensen, the What He Got Wrong article was like the spark that started this podcast. But I think the core of it is just thinking through how technology has, has been impacting society. And for me, this was like a pretty- That's our tagline, right? Right. And this was it. Like 130 episodes in, we have the, these, these social media companies and uh, maybe Google, that's a bit loose in terms of defining it as social, but let's say media companies, tech media companies being dragged in front of a Senate hearing, like the machinery of the old world is starting to wake up to the impact. And while a lot of those senators might not have really understood exactly what was going on, they're starting to sniff that, okay, this is becoming really a thing and we need to get a handle yeah, on it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, why, that's why we're talking about Facebook. Like Facebook is – the yeah. article I wrote – I wrote in 2014, I wrote the Epoch. So then in 2015, I wrote the Facebook Epoch where I'm like, we are – this mm. is the Facebook Epoch. We were in the Microsoft Epoch. Then we're in the Google Epoch. Then we're in the Apple Android Epoch. We are now in the Facebook Epoch. This is the defining company of this era. And and yeah, of course, I write about lots of companies and all the things that are going on. But it's weird. I almost feel this weird symbiosis with Facebook because Facebook is the epitome of all the things we just talked about. In in 2013, mm-hmm. they they had shifted to, they were they were just shifting to mobile. They were finishing their shift to mobile, and they just mm-hmm. launched the news the newsfeed ads that were really going to be the foundation of their economic success. In 2014, that's when they bought WhatsApp. They were starting to get this sort of like understanding the broad based nature of social networking. It's so much larger than any mm-hmm. one company, and and how do you take this sort of broader broader approach? And then in in, in 2015, they're power is becoming really overwhelming the media's the media starting to raise alarm bells not about their impact on society but like crap our like face like they're the media used to be so scared of google but it turned out like wait facebook is like a million times worse and like we are so enthralled and i wrote i wrote a lot of articles about publishing that year that was really getting into like the power of of facebook and and how the, the supply demand sort of shift 2016 we see the impact, the impact of Facebook in all the sorts of ways that impact the election. And, you know, the point that we've made again, again, we both actually believe Facebook is responsible for what's happening in politics. We just the means by which they're responsible is more systematic as opposed mm-hmm. to very explicit sort of, you know, one offs. And now 2017, we're doing the fallout. Facebook sitting in front of a, in front of the Senate and House committees like that is quite clearly dealing with the fallout. Yeah, and I mean, if you if you watch some of the testimony, it does feel like it is very much focused on Facebook. And 
and rightly so. Like, yeah, it, it's great that the the Twitter the Twitter legal counsel was there, and Google got its fair share of questions as well. But you think about where the eyeballs are going, and you think about. I mean, they have so much influence; it is crazy. And again, I totally agree with you in terms of like, it, 120 million people saw those Russian ads. It like they probably just scrolled through them. The, the amount of money. 120 million saw the organic that, posts. Even fewer saw the, saw the number of. Uh, ads but yeah got it uh, th- like but th- th- that's not that's not like if it was just that easy because there were all the other advertisers on there pushing as well like it this isn't this is a sideshow to the broader to the broader topic and i think people are getting the sense that this needs to be the the power that is and the consolidation of power that is happening needs to be addressed but they are they are pinning i mean they're going for the strategy of like what's the easiest thing we can pin onto facebook as opposed to really stepping back and understanding what is going on and you listen to the line of questioning that many of these senators had during the testimony and it it makes very clear that all but a very few really don't know what's going on that's the thing because you like the line of questioning for so often like facebook you need to go fix this like it's mm-hmm. like demanding Facebook exercise their power. Like that—that that is the—that is the sort of conventional wisdom in like the sort of the media is that Facebook needs to exercise its power more. Which mm-hmm. is if you like listen to yourself, you know more than anyone else how terrifyingly powerful this company is, and yet you are demanding they exercise their power more. Is that is that really where we want to go? I'm just trying to imagine that that. That they that everybody bands together in journalism and starts demanding that editors start changing the way they report on stories, like it wouldn't happen. And yet somehow, because this is a tech company, and somehow because they don't like it, this this becomes the thing that people immediately reach for. It's easy, right? It's it, it it's like yeah. if you only think with about what's in front of your face, then this is the easiest tool to reach for. Facebook, you should have done a better mm-hmm. job. But but if you totally. don't back up and appreciate the structural factors that that allowed this to happen, you're actually urging the company to make the more systematic danger far greater. Like we have a systematic danger spot in, in society generally, which is this one company has so much power over what people see and understand and believe and put in their heads that manifests mm-hmm. all over society. And to demand that they take on more power. And of course, Facebook, what's so funny is Facebook, oh yeah, we'll do that. Don't worry. We're going to fix it. We're going to take care of it. We got it. We, we're This week, Mark Zuckerberg is called. Mm-hmm. I want to say we're going to impact our profitability because we care so much about it. If you, if you take a different lens to that his statement that we we think this is a big problem take responsibility is just as easily interpreted as we are going to consolidate and take more power is that sacrificing profitability to take on more power i mean it's the classic example of a strategy credit like he's getting praise for doing what is in his company's interests I, 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 we, we've talked quite a bit about your a number of your articles on stratechery and i actually wrote one I wrote a daily update for you around one of the conversations we had much earlier on on Facebook and uh, the differences in opinion and what they might have stemmed from between like I've been I've been pretty scared of them all along, whereas you were more confident that the business model would prevail. And I think 
the title of this daily article was like founders and motivation. And the, I think the difference in assumption was that, that you thought that they would always be governed by what was in the best interest of their profitability and the best interest of their business model. And I I'd made this observation or I had this belief that there is a level of wealth when sometimes these people achieve like these uh, larger than life characters that everybody talks about where they start to be driven by things other than money. And reading that Reading that quote about like, yeah, we're going to sacrifice profitability, the one that you just made, like that is exactly what I am concerned about. When they start, they start thinking about like, we're going to change the world. We're going to do all this good. And like, this is how it begins. You start with something that everybody agrees is a terrible thing. And that's the basis of launching whatever it might be. But it starts you down the slope and suddenly, oh, it's not just what's most profitable that's going to be the decide factor on what we display or how we serve our customers or what we show our users, it starts to be other factors. And those other factors, once you start, you keep going and you keep going and you keep keep going. And like, I could see the the, the direction we're heading. It, it, it is very troubling to me. Yeah. And you were right. That's why I, like, I asked you to write in that daily update because I'd written the manifestos and monopolies piece, which was where sort of Zuckerberg made a declaration that he was going to drive Facebook in a direction that wasn't necessarily driven by by profit. It was driven by his view of how things should be, and and that was dangerous. And it was exactly sort of the thing that you predicted to your to your immense credit. And you're right; that statement this week really sort of like it was exactly what you said. It was it, like it's not going to be our primary bottom line. Sort of, sort of drive here. And again, you, you, you mentioned it, but it's worth repeating. It's not like we're in favor of Russian ads on, on Facebook. It's like we're in favor mm-hmm. of disinformation. It's, it's the trade-off. It's the balance. It's the, you know, making priorities and decisions is often about choosing the worst or the least worst option. You know what I mean? And right. maybe we're wrong, but it's concerning that so few seem to even countenance the fact that there is a potentially worse outcome that that we're barreling towards and no one's paying attention and and sort to that and I was so you know the best line of question it was just just really fantastic was the the senator from Louisiana named John Kennedy uh, no relation to the uh, the Massachusetts d- dynasty but you know <laughs> and I, I put a bit in here about like talking about like his his southern draw and whatnot and that wasn't by any means to implicate just say anything about, about southerners it was more there was an aspect if you watch sort of the body language of the facebook of the facebook general counsel he kind of like he started out this like i'm kind of like humoring this guy sort of thing and he didn't realize he was like getting set up on a t and then just like obliterated <laughs> i mean like this line of questioning was absolutely like i i have a couple clips on on the article if you haven't seen it it's i promise you it's worth watching and he starts out he's like were there were there any you know were there any ads from china in this election face like no i don't think so or not that we know of were there any from turkmenistan you can see the the facebook guy was at a lot turkmenistan why is he asked about turkmenistan and he's like not that i know of he's like are there any from from north korea he's like no no we not not that not that we know there weren't any other than than russia And, and then the guy this is where he delivered he's like you have no idea He's like, he's like, he's like, how many ads do you have? It's like five million, five, or how many advertisers do you have? Yeah, five million a month. Yeah. And by the way, it's now six million. They just sent on the earnings call, so that that was actually out of date. 
And he's like, five million advertisers. He's like, you have no idea who all those advertisers are. And, and, and the face is kind of like, ah. It, it was such an evisceration. It was, it was amazing. But I wrote about that a few weeks ago, this idea that being a self-serve model and getting a sort of like almost like an aggregation effect on the advertising side is, is what makes Facebook so valuable. And oh, by the way, also has societal benefit because it makes it possible for small companies, small businesses. And it was striking to see Sheryl Sandberg drill yeah. on this in the earnings call. Like she did nothing but talk about how Facebook enables small companies to 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 build businesses and employ lots of people because the advertising model makes it easy and accessible for them. And she's right. It's the right thing to push. And it's it's something I'm worried about is going to get lost in this drive is there is tremendous societal value that yes comes from Facebook and comes from this sort of model that everyone's drilling at. And and so if to balance all these sorts of things about the danger and the possibility. And and if you don't have all those pieces in your head, how do we figure out the sort of how to go forward as a society? And that's why we talk about Facebook all the time. These are really the most critical mm. questions facing not just technology, but society generally. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like Facebook is a conduit for the conversation. There are elements of Facebook that are very interesting, but uh, I mean, the broader the broader point, even if Facebook wasn't here, this notion that uh, self serve ads are going to go away, they are not. Google or if Facebook wasn't here, it would be another company, and. There are pluses and minuses to like strengths and weaknesses. Another one of the recurring themes, like there are strengths and weaknesses. And right now, folks are so focused on the downside. They are so focused on, like you said, on what's just right in front of their face and they just want to smash this problem and they are not thinking beyond the like the immediate like this is the problem we have to like fix it right now as opposed to what are going to be the consequences of doing this and are they going to be worth the well, trade-off? Well, just to be – the connection to flip that on its head, what you're saying is it is obvious to anyone paying attention that the rise of automation and, and, and machine learning, artificial intelligence threatens employment everywhere. It's a huge threat. Mm -hmm. It's obviously a threat. And yeah, you can debate about when it's going to arrive, but it's going to arrive. Like the whole like the truck driving being the number one thing. Like there's obviously going to be self-driving trucks. It's like the only question is when. And then what do we do? Mm -hmm. and, and again, I have put forward, I believe the internet uniquely enables by virtue of having almost these big platforms. Like they're, they're – they, provide the foundation in the way that mobile provide the foundation for Facebook and, and Microsoft provide the foundation for Google. I believe that these, there's an aspect of these large companies, the Amazons and, and which is also sort of a self-serve model from sort of a merchant perspective and, and the Googles and, and, and the Facebooks, they are providing a foundation for what I believe will be and needs to be a new wave of small business creation, of creating businesses that weren't possible when there were geographic restrictions, right? You could only open a hmm. comic book store if there was enough comic book fans in your immediate vicinity, right? Well, you mm -hmm. can open up a, a new kind of business online in your markets the entire world, and you can reach the entire world thanks to Facebook, thanks to Google. And, and of course, the internet broadly can do this, but to have a, a, an easily accessible advertising tool that lets you reach those your thousand true customers anywhere on the globe, Facebook is really the only company that lets you do that. And that 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 think about the value. If we have all these people losing their jobs, boy, I if I, I I'm sure awfully concerned about how do we as a society provide positive outcomes so we can continue growing and not like fall back into a dark ages. 
And and Facebook, this sort of, if you think about it, if you want to build this business that that may, you know, that's fine for Ben. No, I'm saying fine for Ben scaled across all, all sorts of people and all sorts of talents and all sorts of interests. A tool like Facebook's targeting, for example, is an essential one. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. But I mean, this is going to be one of the challenges because the fallout, the costs of everything that has emerged are much more apparent right now than the benefits are. And Sheryl Sandberg can get on that earnings call and she can talk about Brooklyn soaps based in Germany or whatever those stories are. And they're nice stories, but they are not going to dominate the news cycle in the same way that Russian ads are. And this is part of the problem that there is... I mean, it's partly because the problems are apparent right now, whereas the benefits are further off. And this is, again, recurring theme, unintended consequences of of stepping on, of, of regulating this. It, it's going to be the silent screams of all those small businesses that don't get started as a result of regulation or additional hoops that need to be jumped through or whatever it might be. Because these small business owners, they they are like flat out just trying to, I mean, you talked about how setting up your own business in 2014, how it like your your focus became setting up the business and less on, less on p- perhaps the content than in other years. And it's no different for any of these other folks who are creating the soaps or whatever it might be. Like they are busy. It is a small business. There are only a few people. They have a limited amount of time. And for every step that you add in terms of advertising, all that friction, people are just, it's its going to reduce the, the potential size of that benefit of creating all those small of those small businesses. And, and those businesses just won't get started, but we'll never know because the regulation comes down and prevents them from being started in the first and place. And that's the problem because everyone is viewing what's happening with this backwards looking framework, this framework mm-hmm. where media was a gatekeeper and the political parties were connected with that. And, and we're in such a dangerous moment right now. And we're and again, the danger is not it's very easy to see obvious dangers, explicit dangers, you know, like the danger of mm-hmm. war or the danger of Russian interference election or, or whatever, you know, will happen, whatever Donald Trump might do as president. It's so much more difficult to see the danger of cutting off the future before it gets here. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and the reason it's so dangerous is not just the generalized in general, like that's always the sort of the, the pushback against sort of regulation is what, what might not be created. And, the trade-off is different sort of when we're in the middle of a general epoch. Speaking of epochs, think about like the whole post-war era, right? Like 19 – regulations in like 1985, do they – you know, it's a different mindset when the broader – everything is stable and we're good. But we have this mm. – we have this automation train barreling towards us and we have this complete disruption of all these industries that have this web that are all going to fall down. It's going to happen mm-hmm. and and we are – in danger of putting in place laws and approaches because we're so shooken up by what's happening that actually lock us in, that that prevent us from going where we need to go. But it's also happening so fast. I mean, it's it's four years. I mean, we've talking about, I mean, it feels like an eternity for us, but like four years of this and like the changes that we just described over the course of the last hour are like they're far reaching. And again, like I, I feel like we're we're pretty close to the edge in terms of understanding it. But you have folks who are making decisions around how they're going to respond to these uh these issues and uh, they 
they don't understand. Like it's happening too fast. They are that, and that that's kind of that speed of reaction of policymakers is fine. Like you said, when the epoch is stable, but yes, that train is barreling towards us, and it's a relatively new thing, and people don't really understand it. And when you don't understand it, the, like you don't understand the root causes and the reasons why something's happening, your attempts to address it are almost certainly going to have unintended consequences to what you expected, and probably won't solve the thing that you're hoping to solve anyway because that web that web of how everything is connected that web extends into people's minds people don't there's Mm. assumptions that people make the vast majority of people make about how the world works that are rooted in how the world has worked for for a long time but it follows that if the way the world works is changing and, and and if there is a broad-based theme sort of strategic, I think this is a phrase it's usually a different one every time. But for this podcast, if there is a broad-based theme of strategy, it's the world is changing, and and how is it changing? What what is what is happening? And if that shift in the world is not reflected in the shift in the assumptions that drive what people do and the legislation they write mm-hmm. and and the positions they take, then. By definition, what follows from that is going to be aligned with the CBG companies. It's going to be aligned with the, the automotive companies. It's going to be aligned with a world that is passing away. I have this analogy that I like to use, and it's probably going to amuse some people and uh, offend maybe a small portion of our audience. So forgive me. But I have this thing where the French love to uh, prepare for the for the last war and World War One, they were preparing for a Napoleonic War. World War Two, they prepared for World War One. Uh, like they they built the the what's Ma- it Maginot called? Line. The, um, Maginot Line. Thank you. Um, and and the Germans with uh, uh, Blitzkrieg, like the Panzer divisions, just like they, you don't like a wall's great if you're going into trench warfare, but when you're when you're fighting with tanks, it's not really going to do a hell of a lot. It's and I, I feel like that is exactly what is happening right here. Like policy hold uh, policy makers rather, and also it's not just them; it's the media as well. They are. They are thinking about this with outdated assumptions. They are not coming at this recognizing that the world has fundamentally changed and the way we need to react to the world needs to change as well. And it's hard. And I think that that actually shows what a challenge it is because the media has been disrupted by Facebook more than more than anyone else. And to basically implicitly demand that Facebook take on more power, which is sort of the tenor of all the statements about Facebook and the Russians. Facebook, you should do more. You should do more. You should assume more power. You should, you should, you're an, you're a media, they love saying you're a media company. You should edit mm-hmm. stuff, right? You can only say that if it hasn't fully broken through in your, in your head that the world has changed, that there's different assumptions that are necessary, and Facebook's power is not something to be exercised. It's something to be feared. Mm, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> We've been having this conversation from way back. Yeah, I'm going to go write a comment on iTunes about how we keep saying the same thing. Yeah, well, we are. I mean, but I, I, I mean, there, I, if, if nothing else, I hope folks take away from this conversation that there is, there is a reason why it's not just because we're stuck or there are only a few, there are only a few things we know how to talk about. Like this is the most important stuff in terms of tech's impact on society. This is, this is leading the charge. Like this is where people's eyeballs are. This is where people get their news from. And if you, if we start playing with this and it looks like that might be a possibility, we're encouraging this. It's, I, I think the ramifications could be really quite dire. 
Yeah, and and we've been built like it's been building to this moment. Like there, when you step back mm. and look at 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 how we got here, and you know, for me, that's looking at sort of as a sort of chronicler of this. You know, what what have I covered? What have I looked at? And it's, I don't know. I think I think it's it's always useful to step back and to take that big picture perspective. Agreed. Agreed. All right. I well, that was good. I, I think we I think we've uh, I think we've defended ourselves sufficiently. So by the yeah, way, we're, right. we're not we're, justified. Yeah, our we're, actions. We are. Yeah. <laughs> we are actually in fine shape. That was a framing device. I always feel like people we get a bunch of tweets. Say, oh, don't worry, you're doing fine. We we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, thank you. So actually, our thanks. We our do thanks to the it. commenter for giving us an excellent framing device for for this for this episode. Yes. But <laughs> sounds good. I. I mean, he's right. The first 40 episodes were pretty good, though, right? <laughs> I did go back and listen to one, and our ums and uhs were, oh, it's, I found it almost unlistenable. Like, we, we our we, speaking, I think, has we, definitely, and our editing, to be honest, has, has gotten a lot better. There was a little, it was rough. It was rough. We've come a long way, Ben. <laughs> we're also not fighting. Yes, Online. that also helps. <laughs> well, as much. If we are, it's because there's genuine content disagreement as opposed to, like, anything else, which is good. Sounds good. All right, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. All right, bye-bye.